0: Okay, hey, can you hear us? Good, yeah. and uh, just want to welcome those of you who are on Zoom. I can't see you, but you can see me. It's wonders of technology. We're looking here at Galatians, and in this section, where we read out, there's, there's two separate sections. Uh, two arguments that Paul is making to the people of Galatia, two things he dresses them on. And while they're separate, they do link in together. Okay, so in the first section, Paul is remembering back his early relationship with the, people, with the Galatians. And Paul says that the Galatians first heard the gospel from Paul when he was in place of physical weakness. And it was his weakness that truly captured the essence of the gospel. And just that in the scripture it says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, in a sense, I don't know if you ever talk about the idea that none of us likes weakness. If you want to present yourself to other people, you will probably make an effort to present to your best side, to present yourself in your strongest way. It's a very natural human thing. But the thing about the gospel is that the gospel is actually best expressed through weakness. Because the gospel, in its essence, is saying to its hearers, you are spiritually weak and you need the savior. It's God reaching out to save helpless men. And so, in a sense, for Paul, when he came to them with his weakness, they could see through his weakness the gospel more clearly. And so the weakness became true strength. And then the consequence for the people, as they heard this gospel from Paul. And they began to understand the gospel and respond to it. It evoked a response in them. And here it says on the slide: the outworking of the gospel in the lives of the Galatians was that they saw Paul through eyes of grace, and it manifested itself of love. And the scripture says: is, it says, and even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me. As if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Himself. And Paul goes on, Where then is your blessing to me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Now, sometimes people make an issue of saying, Oh, maybe Paul had blindness, and that's why we need this reference. But it is just a generic statement. If, to tear out your eyes to help somebody else is saying, I'm willing to make any sacrifice. Because obviously channel your eyes and tell the other person, just make like two blind men, to of one. So it's the idea that they were willing to do anything for Paul to minister to him. And, and that's that's the effect of the gospel. When the gospel truly affects somebody, it changes them. And the only thing they care about is loving the other person. That's what it does to Freeze up. I think probably last week, I think what James was talking about, talked about the Spirit of God crying out, have a following within us. When the Holy Spirit enters a person, it connects with God, and to talks about the love of God being poured out into our hearts. Love is the natural, spontaneous response of someone who's been affected by God. That's how it works. That's what it brings out of us. And the problem for the people of Galatians is somehow they've gone away from that. Something had changed. In the meantime, this is why Paul is writing to them. And on the next slide, it says, "Now they're, they are now they are a place where they've been deceived by the legalists or the religious who appeal to the observation of law or to religious festivals." In, in this section, Paul talks a lot about, uh, about them, you know, following calendars and the holy days and So it could either be been an appeal back to their old religion that they had, or it could have been appealed by the, by the Jewish legalists. But now they're in a place where they become zealous for these other people. They're trying to please other people. And it, Paul says this. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. So Paul is saying that they allegiance in a sense. while they had a lot of allegiance to Paul and Gospel. Now they're moving over and they're following these other people. I call it legalists, or religious legalists. And the question is, why? And so if you look back to their initial thing, I think the reason is that when the Galatians stop drawing from the source of love, which is Christ and the Holy Spirit, then they start looking elsewhere for security. They're starting to seek love and approval from others. This is the gateway into being deceived by the legalists. So we just take a minute just looking at this. In, in, in essence, you always have two places you can look for love. You can either look to God directly, you can look to Christ, you can look to the Holy Spirit, and you can, you can seek in Him the love that you need and the security that you need. Or you can start looking to other people. They are kind of two choices you have. And the problem is when you start looking to other people, they generally put demands on you. Yes, they will love you if, Yes, to love lovely if you're a certain type of person. If you wear certain clothes, if you look a certain way, you can add to the list yourself. But God is the only one who loved you when you were his enemy. That's what scripture says. Even while we were God's enemies, he loved us. Jesus came for us when we were yet sinners. There is no condition in God's love. It's simply a gift that he gives. It's something that he offers. And so in a sense, in the worst place you were in, is when he offers to love you. So, if his love is free, but you're in the worst place he could be, why do you need to do anything to gain his love? And, and that's why I'm saying that Paul, when he came in weakness to the Galatians, and he tried to explain this to them, tried to explain the gospel, the good news upon which God loves them, and how he saved them, it was manifest through his weakness, they could see it. He had nothing else to offer them, except the gospel. He had no strength. He wasn't saying, become like me in my strength. If anything, he had to say, become like me in my weakness. Because this is what we are when we approach God. We become weak. And it's his love that changes us. And so for the Galatians, this is what Paul is trying to get back to. But I'm going to go to the next slide. Yeah. Paul's remedy for this is that Christ being fully formed. them. He says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And, and again, just want to emphasize this idea that Christ being formed, you know, Christ being formed at the center of your heart, that he becomes the center of your heart. His values, his perspectives is what is the center of, of your heart. And therefore, when others try and come and draw you off with their legalism or with their conditions, they go, why would I commit my love to you and seek your love when yours is conditional when Christ's love which is at the center of my heart is unconditional? You see how it works? So if Christ is formed at the center of the heart that is their defense against being led away by anybody else. And so when we apply it to ourselves we have to start asking the question whenever we find ourselves looking for approval from others we need to ask when did I stop working Christ. And we can ask ourselves, who do we look to for a group? Who are the people around us that we think we have to come up to some standard for? Who are the people who we want their admiration or we want their respect? Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with having people's respect. The question is what you have to do to earn it. You can going to ask the question, do you change your behavior when you're a different company leads to disapproval of it? Do you change who you are, depending on who you meet? Just to get their approval. And we all, I think, struggle with this. None of us are beyond this. But the key is to recognize this and to say, right, when I'm looking to other people to, to either tell me who I am, or to approve of me, I probably have stopped looking to Christ for who I am. And we need to start with looking to Christ, looking to His love. That's the foundation. After that, we then we see other people as they really we, we are. We're not depending on them. Uh, the next slide, I want to take a minute just to look at this. If you can see it. It's the coronation of Napoleon at North Dame in Paris. The same case, it got far down a few years ago. By the way, it was painted by one of these great admirers. So it creates, creates great documents for him. It's a magnificent day, you know. But if you were to look at that painting, and you were to focus in only on one small aspect of it on its own, you would miss the whole painting. The painting can only be seen when you step back and see the whole painting. And if you're looking at this as a lure, you're seeing it within a frame. There's a frame on it, selected. It. it also is put in a certain light so that you can actually see the painting. You don't go up with a, with a microscope and examine one tiny selected paint. You don't do that. You step back because you're trying to see what the artist has put there. You're looking at the complete picture. No harder time to look up and look at some detail, but ultimately you need to step back and look at the big picture to see it. Go on to the next slide. Yeah. To understand the great painting, you have to look at the whole painting in the proper light. The details only make sense of the context of the whole. The Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, are all one writing. The laws and commandments are within it, but they only make sense when seeing the context of the whole book. Now, the reason I state this is that. Paul, the problem with these people is that we are drawing into a legalism called Judaizers who are drawing into saying you have to follow the law, you have to obey the commandments, and they will always focus on aspects of the law that they have to keep. But what Paul says is, the law is contained within the Torah, within those five books, and within those five books are stories, they're the narrative sections, and the narrative is the framework of the whole picture. And if you don't understand the narrative, you're going to misinterpret the purpose of the law. So he goes into the narrative and he picks out two characters, right, two characters within the narrative, to show them. To go to the next uh, slide, please. So Paul looks at the story of Hagar and Sarah and the circumstances of the birth of their children. And he sees the story as an allegory of the history of the law and of salvation. Now, in case you're not familiar with it, Abraham has two wives, and God had always promised him a son. But when Abraham got to his mid 80s, and his wife was 10 years younger, they kind of figured maybe we won't have a son after all. So Sarah came up with a brilliant plan. I love human plans, it always brilliant. She used her maid Hagar and gave her to Abraham, because, as like the second wife. And Hagar became pregnant and had a child, who was Ishmael. And Sarah went jump down because she could claim it was because of her husband as her child. But about 15 years later, God said, no, 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 that's not the one. There's Isaac, who will be born when Abraham a 100 years old and Isaac is ninety. And when Abraham, when God told Abraham this, Abraham laughed. And that way, Isaac means laughter. So every time he mentioned Isaac's name, he'd remember the fact that he laughed when God told him he had a son. But the son was a son of props while Ishmael was a son of effectively like human scheme, that's what it was, the flesh. People trying to work out the will of God and the destiny of God. So Ishmael was the son of Hagar to the work of the flesh and his human design and effort. And what Paul says is that in the story of, of Hagar and her son, that whole lineage, because it's worked to the flesh, it corresponds as allegorical to the law, and the law is given to have so we said Hagar is like an allegory for Mount Sinai and for Jerusalem, because ultimately Jerusalem became the place where the tabernacle was built into a big building, the temple, and that's where all the worship took place, that's where all the sacrifices took place. And in a sense, Paul looking back to Jerusalem in his day and Judaism as it was then, looking all the way back to the law and the commandments he says they're all reflected in Hagar. It's all human effort, ultimately, to try and be righteous with God, and it doesn't work. And on the other hand, he looked to Isaac, and he says, Isaac was a child of promise. It had to have heaven's intervention for Isaac to be born, because a man of 100 and a woman of 90 are not going to have children. So Isaac was a child of promise, and the true promise of inheritance is the new Jerusalem, the one that will come down from heaven effectively heaven itself. That's the true promise. And so what he's saying to them is that what they have as believers is the true promise. It's a new city. It's, it's, it's an inheritance from God. And if you want to go back to the law and the commandments, we're just going back to the old city. And so in verse 25 it says, Now Hagar stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's enslaving with her children. But the Jerusalem that is from above is free. She's our mother now. You, brothers and sisters like Isaac, are children of promise. So, again, Paul is interested in this thing that the whole Old Testament is about promise ultimately, and the ultimate promise, of course, was Christ coming to the bread that was the ultimate promise. So, Paul also saw that another thing began to help them to understand. So, at the time, there was persecution beginning by the Jews against these new questions, and they couldn't understand it. And Paul goes back to the narrative story and he says, as soon as you had Isaac born, there's no conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. And he says, so he goes on, he says, now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born to the flesh, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? And this is, it says, to cast out the the slave woman, because there's conflict because they both can't encourage the same thing. Right? And in effect, that's what happens in the story: is, is Hagar leaves with Ishmael, and he forms his own nation, Ishmaelites, who succeed in an earthly sense. And Isaac was on to be a child of the child, the promise of the nation of Israel comes from Isaac. And so he's telling them in that story there's conflict. So don't be too surprised if there's conflict. But it also leads back to the idea that if there is conflict, it means that if they follow only Christ, and they don't submit themselves to the law of they won't win the approval of the Judaizers, and therefore will be conflict. So they have a choice made. Do they want to live as people who are free, or do they want to live in an end of slavery? So on that last slide, we've asked ourselves the same question. Do we live as free people, free to love God and others, free to enjoy the benefits of the gospel? Is that what we do? Are we sending the sacrifice of freedom to win the approval of others? Do we? Get, and the second thing is, which comes out of that whole study of Paul, is do we apply? Do we apply ourselves to understand Scripture in the context of the whole, or are we happy to live off the morsels of others? So Paul's argument was that the reason they were deceived into following the law and the commandments, they didn't understand the Old Testament, they didn't understand the Torah. We, they, they were missing as the Judaizers were. So I think for us as believers, we will always have to call points of conflict. It's very easy to say in our hearts in theory, I will only trust in the love of God, I will only act out of love, I will only act out of Christ. But in the real world that we live in, we are often challenged to compromise, to become different people, to be different people than people around us to not speak when we should speak. to sometimes speak when we should stay silent. And the only way to prevent that is to make sure our hearts are centered in Christ. That's our challenge. Is Christ the absolute centre of our heart? And that's a choice we have to make. And so as we live our lives, we have to decide every day what is important to me. Is it following Christ? Is it working with him in the centre of my heart? That's my value system. Or it's something else, and we decide. And I pray we will always be Christ. That's the promise that I make. Amen. Thanks. thanks. Uh-